and we've called it eight days because like it's technically a little longer than a week but each day part of this holy week is so important so fruitful as we look at like the resurrection of jesus and just seeing the the impact of that so each week we are taking a day to look look at like what happened in G, like with what jesus did and how it can challenge us and how we can learn from it and grow closer to him and so today we are looking at basically communion with a day called Maundy Thursday. And I will talk about why it's called Mon- Maundy Thursday later. Um, but uh, just like a story, when I think of like a meal like communion or like a community meal, I always think of like Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and maybe you have like other meals uh, Easter, uh, you know, like, like these different community meals where you see people that you recognize and you love to be around. And, and that, that's what happens um, uh, with like Passover, as we'll see, is like people get together with their friends and people that they care about, and they celebrate this, this time of Passover that we'll look at in a little bit. Um, but I want to give a little background about what's happening here, because it's, it's, you know, Lots going on, and I'm um, going to be trying to try and be really fast about it. And so the religious leaders, as we've seen during this Holy Week, like a common thing is like they don't like the things that Jesus is teaching. Um, they don't like that people are, are engaging in what he has to say versus what they have to say. And so they've been trying to work and plot at, um, in some ways to be able to kill Jesus, to, to get him arrested and persecuted and to, to actually get him um, killed. And so uh, last week, as Adam had mentioned, um, Judas Iscariot actually agrees to betray Jesus and hand him over to the religious leaders. And so on to Thursday. It was the first day of the festival known as Passover, and to celebrate, you would, you would often, like, people would return to to Israel to or sorry to Jerusalem to go to the temple and and worship as well as like have this this uh, reenacting Passover meal which marked that the Israelites had miraculously escaped from slavery um, in from Egypt and this is found in the book of Exodus if you want to read about it Um, There are a series of plagues that Yahweh God had sent over Egypt who believed in many gods, and specifically, Pharaoh thought he was a god actually above Yahweh. Um, But clearly, he was not, because if you read these series of plagues, Yahweh dethrones the power of all of their gods and shows that he is the Most High God, which in Hebrew is El Elyon, Most High God. The tenth and final plague was the death plague of the firstborn, and God offered a way out. A lamb or a goat with no defects, they would end up sacrificing it and spreading the blood all over the door frames. And when this like, like angel of death would come up to it to strike the firstborn, it instead would pass over, which is how the name Passover comes, comes from, what it comes from. So that night, they would roast meat from the animal, and eat this meat, there would there'd be salad greens and bitter herbs to represent their hardships and suffering as slaves, and bread with no yeast, uh, also known as unleavened bread, because they needed a quick break from, 
from um, Egypt when they went to, to escape. And so if they had put leaven in it and did it the normal way, the bread would take a long time to rise. And there's also potentially some symbolism there where it's like sin entering the, the, the bread, and they're meant to be pure and holy. And so they escaped. They eventually crossed the Red Sea, um, and they journeyed in wil- the wilderness for 40 years where they learned um, that it was God who would take care of what their needs and reach the land that was promised to them. And each year they had started to, to celebrate this time of Passover, which was 430 years of slavery in Egypt, and they escaped that time of slavery. And so they wanted to remember that. And so back to Jesus, they're, you know, however many years after this point, um, to continuing to celebrate this, this time every year. And he gets his disciples to find someone who would allow them to have this Passover meal in their house. Um, and they prepared the meal, and um, basically today we're going to look at all, like, all of these little events that happen that are a part of, of this Thursday communion time. And so the first thing that we see that happens here is that Jesus washes the disciples' feet and gives them a new command. And so verses are going to be on the screen, as well as if you have you version, you can have everything there as well. You just go in there and click into the events section, and you can find Christian Student Fellowship. We're all over the place in the different gospels because there's a lot of different events that take place in each gospel that feed into it. And so we're, we're, we're all over, which is, which is awesome. So this is what we read in John 13. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from the supper and laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel, tied it around himself, and he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. And so um, they're getting ready for this amazing meal. They're getting ready to, to celebrate this time of Passover together. And before, before they really get into the heart of the meal, Jesus gets up and he does something that's like contrary to the culture at this time. And he ties a towel around himself and he begins taking water to wash the disciples' feet. A task that was meant to be for more for like, like a slave or like the lowest person in the group. Jesus instead, the leader of the group, um, actually takes the initiative and he becomes the slave in this scenario, and he washes the hands and feet, or sorry, the, the, the feet of the disciples. And when he got to Peter, Peter, Peter absolutely refused, seeing his master acting like a, like a slave must have, like, confused him, right? Like, like if you're seeing your, your leader doing this stuff you're not used to seeing, it's like, what, what are you doing? And and Jesus tells him, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And so Jesus gave the disciples a lesson to follow. Wash each other's feet. 
The slave was not greater than the master, and the messenger is not greater than the one who sends the message. To spread the kingdom of Jesus, it would take becoming like a slave to serve those who needed to hear about this good news. It meant setting aside pride and taking up humility. It meant, uh, you know, being willing to, to, if you will for a second, like get knocked off your pedestal of, of where maybe, maybe you usually are to going a few rungs down the ladder to, to, to be willing. Um, I love this phrase in leadership, being willing to, take, to pick up the trash. Um, it was in, in a book or a video series that, that I had, had um, come, come into this line of like being willing when you see like trash on the ground, being willing to serve even that lowest of a need that typically, if you're in like a leadership position, you don't have to worry about. And so being willing to do um, what those, in quotation marks, below you are, are doing. And so we're going to go past uh, some, some of the parts of dinner real quick because it, it's so connected into this that, that I think we, we need to go, go past a little bit and then, and then hit the brakes and scoot on back. But um, this is John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus says that I'm giving you a new command that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so this is where Maundy Thursday comes from. If you're like me, you think this is a really cool name for like a day that we know of, right? Like, man, that sounds so cool. Um, and so Maundy is actually like a Latin term uh, that I think you say it as mandatum or mandatum, um, which I've been known to be wrong with grammar before, so don't trust me. But the writing, that, the writing is correct. Uh, but it means command. And so, like, you could think of this day now as, like, command Thursday. The new command that Jesus gives his disciples is to love each other. All others will know that you are my disciples if you'd love one another. And so I think some questions that we should think about is as the overall church, are we doing this? Are we actually loving one another? Because Jesus makes it clear that if we are, and if we're seeking unity with one another, then others will know that we are his disciples. We need to be willing to wash feet just as Jesus was willing to wash his disciples' feet. The second thing, or second part of this, this day, is that Jesus establishes his new covenant for his followers through the communion meal. After Jesus washes, washes the disciples' feet, the disciples and Jesus share this amazing Passover meal, and Jesus actually reveals to them um, probably something that n none of them expected to hear. I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Disciples obviously stress because they've been following this guy for a while. It's like, I don't think it's me. You know, like, like if you're on, on target with a person, you have like no desire to, to betray like your master and the guy who's going to save the world. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what kind of pressure that's going to be on your shoulders of, of wondering who, who is it going to be? And at one point, like John leans over to, or Peter, one, one of them leans over to Jesus like, who is it? Is it him? Is it him? 
And he's like, it's the one that, that, that uh, you know, puts his hand in the bowl with me. And that person ends up being Judas, who we already know earlier on had already agreed to betray Jesus. And when it gets to, to Judas, um, he's, he asks the question, Rabbi, am I the one? And so one thing that I want to say about this is that Jesus wouldn't have picked Judas just to betray him. He picked Judas to follow him and bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. And, but Judas made, obviously, a very bad and terrible mistake. And Jesus told Judas, hurry and do what you are going to do. And it's interesting to think about all of this because we get to the part where, where they have communion for the first time and Judas is just gone. Disciples are thinking like, oh, he's probably gone to pay, pay for the meal because he was the guy who's known for like carrying the finances and taking care, care of that. And so like Jesus is doing all this important stuff, but Judas isn't there. And they don't realize like, I, I mean, in my mind, I'd probably be wondering like, huh, this seems like something good for all 12 of us to be at. I wonder why he's letting like Judas just skip out of it, right? Um, but the rest of the disciples are here, and this is what we read in Mark 14. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This meal is not just any meal. This communion meal confirms the new covenant that Jesus was establishing for the world between God and his people. His body would break and his blood would be shed as a sacrifice so that people wouldn't have to experience death, but new life every day. During the Exodus story, and um, this is an example that, that I had recently heard in a teaching um, by, by Taylor Staten on um, like Jesus being the bread of life. And he said, during the Exodus story, what did God give the Israelites to remember their deliverance from slavery? A meal served with bread. In the wilderness, what did God give the Israelites to sustain them? Bread. And in another story that takes place in the Gospels during or near the time of Passover, what did God use to feed the 5,000? Bread. And what is the food source of Jesus' new covenant with the disciples to remember as they continue their days, taking the message of this good news? Bread. <laughs> when we take bread any time, my hope is that it would be a reminder of the body of Jesus broken for us to give us new life. So for you today, how has Jesus been broken for you and given you new life? What things are, have you been struggling with that, that you just need release from? Jesus wants to take that from you today. And next we read in Mark 14, 26, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The third thing, or third event we see, is that Jesus went to a garden to pray about the suffering path that he would soon endure. On their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told the disciples that they would betray him. And at the news of this, Simon responds to Jesus' strong words, 
even if they fall away, calling out his brothers, even, even if all the, the others fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, Simon, that this very night before a rooster crows, crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. And Peter repeatedly said insistently, even if I have to die with you, I won't deny you. And they all were saying the same thing as well. All the disciples, we're not going to leave you. And I think for me, I relate to this sometimes, where, where there are moments where I'm like, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm not going to betray you. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to stay surrendered to you. But then I think at the heart of it, we all have stories where we didn't may, maybe necessarily speak up to, to friends who, who have no clue that we follow Jesus. And maybe there's a loved one who you know doesn't follow Jesus, and when you talk to them, you purposefully avoid faith conversations so you don't have to deal with the can of worms that it would open. I think we all have a story or two that we can relate to in this. But as we're going to see on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus doesn't give on, up on you. He doesn't give on Simon Peter, who passionately goes, I don't care what the others do. I'm telling you, Jesus, I won't give up on you. And they finish their journey to Gethsemane. And Jesus is in agony, agony because of what's next, his death on the cross, as we're going to see um, kind of tomorrow, but next Sunday. Um, so the disciples sat in Gethsemane, while Jesus took Peter, James, and John along with him. And this is what Jesus said. He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began praying that if it were possible that the hour might pass him by. He was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you will not come into temptation. And the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he, again, Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same words. Jesus was so deeply stressed here that it's not just a normal prayer. It's like a crying out to, 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 to God using a term of Abba. It's not just a term of Father, but it's deeper than that. It's like Daddy, Papa, a term that a child cries out to his father with. And here Jesus does it with God, his Father. All things are possible. You can do this, Dad. Just remove the cup of suffering and we'll find another way. We hear that and maybe we think this, this is a place of weakness in Jesus, but really in this moment, Jesus is showing that he's fully human. He felt what we felt. He struggled just like we struggle, yet the difference is he didn't sin. At the end of his cry, Jesus came back to, not my will but yours be done. And I love what Pete Gregg writes in the introduction to um, his, the first chapter of his book called God on Mute that is all about unanswered prayer. I recommend it who, 
to anyone who is dealing with this because it is so good and you'll learn a ton. But he says, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is wrestling for his life in prayer. The location is significant. Gethsemane literally means the oil press. And for Jesus, it's become a place of intense pressure, spiritually, emotionally, as well as physically. When life threatens to crush us, we too may wrestle in prayer. This place of Gethsemane is rough. It's a beautiful garden area, which is why Jesus would often go to this place. But Jesus was in a wrestling match because the suffering that was about to ensue was deep, dark, abusive, and dehumanizing. And to cap it off, he would be the one that drinks the wrath that we deserve so that we don't have to experience death but new life. And we read this in Luke 22:44. Being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like blood, falling down upon the ground. Jesus was so stressed and praying so passionately that he was sweating literal blood drops. Yet not my will but yours be done. For you, what is your yet not my will but yours be done? What is God calling you to do that you don't want to do? Jesus was willing to go through with it, and it changed the course of human history forever. Will we be willing to go through the hard seasons of life that we're called to go through? That's a hard question to answer. I know it is for me. Will we be willing to say, not my will, God, but yours be done? The next thing we see is that Jesus is arrested due to the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. So while Gina, Jesus sorry, was finishing up waking the disciples and talking to them to pray, he's telling them, uh, like, pray not to fall into temptation because it's coming. And Judas, with a crowd following close behind, approached Jesus. He gave Jesus a greeting kiss. I love Jesus' response. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? <laughs> That's a big call out. <laughs> and some of the events ensue, and this is like a mashup of all the Gospels because there's little details that, that happen um, in each one that help clarify the full story. Um, but the disciples see what's happening. They get so scared. They like whip out their swords and are ready to fight. And Peter actually takes the, takes, you know, the, the first step, which it's always Peter. He, he strikes the ear of the slave of the high priest, which it's like, of all the people, why the slave of the high priest? And he cuts it off and there's a sword battle that's about to break out. And Jesus yells like, stop, no more of this. And I like to think of, like, how a magician, like, reveals things. He, like, puts his hand around the ear, and the ear is healed. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean, the thing that is so interesting to me is you got the, the Messiah right there wondering about the miracles he does, and he does, like, a literal miracle of physical healing with a limb that's not there anymore, um, but... Jesus says some challenging words to them, and he shows the cowardice of these religious leaders coming in the night in a, like in a secluded area to arrest him. While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. 
So Judas finished his betrayal as Jesus, Jesus, sorry, Jesus was arrested and led away. Judas betrayed Jesus, but he also betrayed his friends. If you're willing with me, imagine you're standing with Jesus the Messiah in this beautiful garden, and one of your best friends, someone you've walked with for three years, walks up and, and ends up being one of the people that leads Jesus away being arrested. It's betrayal. But then here's the thing as well. As rough as that is, the disciples were no better because they fled and ran away, leaving Jesus alone to be taken away. And remember what Jesus said, or sorry, Peter said, as well as like the disciples, even if they all fall away, yet I will not. And Peter does actually stay nearby as Jesus heads into being um, seen in the Sanhedrin. And we also read in John's gospel that an unnamed disciple, we all know John, uh, was there too. But we'll get there. Um, So the fifth thing we see is that Jesus appears before the Sanhedrin as they make their case against Jesus. The council was doing everything that they could do to try and get any kind of evidence um, to be able to, to, to take Jesus away. And there's, there are a couple like, like little things, but, but nothing major. Some people were trying to lie and, and you know, get Jesus. Um, but he, he was clean. He was who he said he was. Some gave false testimony, but nothing they could do to be able to, to actually arrest him. So Caiaphas, the high priest, just eventually gets tired of it. He's like, all right, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven, tearing his clothes. And the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And of course they all condemned him as deserving of death because that's what they were hoping for. They found Jesus guilty for telling the truth. You know, it's only blasphemy if the claim isn't true. But the claim was true. Jesus was arrested. And even though he was the Messiah, they were trying to to make false claims about that. And soon he would come before trial and, and, and endure death that he didn't deserve, but was willing to take on because he loved all of those people. He loves all of us. He loved Judas. He loved the people who betrayed him. Even the people that we would see as Jesus' enemies, he died for those people as well. He also died for us. He paid for your sins, and he even paid for the sins of those who took him to the cross. And so this is the last, last part of, of, of Maundy Thursday that we're looking at. Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. Peter was hanging outside of the courtyard while Jesus was was in there being seen by the Sanhedrin. And three different times, Peter is asked if he was with Jesus of Nazareth. But all three times, he denied even knowing him. The Messiah he walked with and followed for three years and just straight up said, I have no idea who you're talking about. I don't even know this guy. 
And after the third time denying Jesus, this is what we read about in Luke's gospel. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he was told to him, before a rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. And how many times do we feel like Peter? We so want to stand up to people and let them know about Jesus, but when it comes to it, there are times where we deny like Peter. Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter knew exactly what he had just done and wept hard because he knew who he denied knowing. And sometimes that happens to, to us. I've had moments of this in my own life, and when it does happen, I just feel like garbage after the fact. But I'm so glad that Jesus gives us multiple chances and that that's not the end of the story. Earlier in, in the, the day, Jesus had told Peter these words, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like men like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that he was going to he was going to deny him. He was going to run away. But he also knew that Peter would return. When we continue the story, we see that Simon Peter does, in fact, come back and return to his brothers. He strengthens them. And after Jesus rises from the dead and he gives them the great commission to make disciples of all nations, Peter takes the charge to establish the new church, and that's what they do. The new ecclesia which is a group of people all about following the way of Jesus, are transformed by him, by Jesus, because Peter was willing to come back and strengthen his brothers, and they got to do this together. The truth is that Jesus hasn't given up on you either. Though we may deny Jesus, we can rise again, because Jesus is there with us, and he's fought the battle for us. And he's made us, as Paul writes it, more than conquerors. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus loves you. He hasn't given up on you, and you have purpose in him. I truly believe that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to be able to come before you and just let you challenge and convict. I just pray, Jesus, that in all of this, that, that we would be willing to, to pray to you um, and ask you, God, to not allow us to fall into temptation. But God, that you would strengthen us, that we would trust, God, that, that you actually do give us these chances that we're often um, preached to about or maybe read about, but in our own hearts, 
There's something there that refuses to believe that. And so God, I pray that you would break down the walls of our hearts and truly believe in the grace that you give us, the transformation that you truly give us, and that you care about us, and that you want to know us, and that we belong in your family, God. I pray that that we would be willing to, to let go of these bondages that are still continuing to hold on to us, and that we would be willing to take up the new life that you are giving all of us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.